No mai, haere mai, and welcome to Koko Ngati, a podcast that combines cross-cultural wahine Māori and Pacific male perspectives on issues and topics relating to us. It's our stories by our people. Kia ora, I'm Maya Wilson. Kia ora, I'm Johnson Riella, and we're the hosts of Koko Ngati. Season 1 focuses on being mixed race here in Aotearoa. Although we aren't entirely mixed race ourselves, we talk to inspiring people who share their experiences. We'd also like to make a special shout out to Foundation North and thecoconet.tv for their support in making this podcast. Today, we caught with a Fafine Marlosi professional netballer who is a proud mum, athlete, partner, and student. For me to tell my mum like I'm pregnant and then for us to go to the scan and see two, oh wow, that was nine long months. Just feeling really down um, and quite lost. And then when I had babies, I didn't have that um, natural maternal connection to the kids. Uh, I 100% knew I loved them. Um, that wasn't an issue, but I didn't feel like a mum like at all. Toy Sulu Fitzpatrick talks to us about being raised within a big Samoan Ainga as a Whangai child and her struggles with being a teen mum, mental health and body image. It is a long one today Fano, but hang in there, there are some absolute gems. She also shares about her journey with her Samoan culture and being the first professional netballer with a malu. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. I, I don't really know if you had a choice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we just want to say how grateful we are that you're willing to come and have a yarn to us and um, and come and talk to us and, and join us today. So yeah, thank you very much. Oh, thank you guys. So what we've been doing so far is basically just an introduction of yourself. So kōwai koe, nōhia koe, so yeah. I come from Sangonen Afenga um, in Samoa, um, so proud, proud to be Samoan. Um, and yeah, pretty much that's it. And what about your family? What's your family makeup? Uh, so I am the eldest of six. So I've uh, been growing up in Auckland uh, and I've got family here and in Samoa. It's a big family. Siblings? Uh, two sisters, three brothers, the youngest are twins, uh, and then I've obviously got my kids who are also twins, um, and my partner's kids, so we've got four who are seven, six, 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 uh, so busy. And so, because I have known you for so long, you have been raised within a strong female household, we know Mama Rosie <laughs> knows how to hold it down in that Fitzpatrick household, so... Yeah, tell us about your upbringing, your mum, and how you have two mums. Oh, okay, yes. Uh, so my mum, uh, Rosie, uh, all my friends know as the mum that that they don't do anything wrong in front of. Um, um, every friend I know is scared of my mum, um, but she's actually a softie. Uh, so Rosie is my mum, and I was actually... Um, born to her sister, Olive, so she's my birth mum. Um, so I've known all my life um, and I've always spent time with um, with my birth parents and birth siblings as well as um, my family that have raised me here in New Zealand. I'm so grateful to be loved by a big family um, and so I feel very blessed. I think maybe the uh, technical term for some people might be a whangai child mm. in, in, in a sense but what makes me curious about um, being someone that's being raised by somebody else mm. at any point 
um, do you actually feel a part of the family? Or yeah, at, at, when do you finally come to accept, accept that this is your family? I think um, because it's so normalised in Samoan and um, Pacific and Maori culture, I never knew anything different. So I just thought that that was normal. Um, so and I was never raised to feel any different to my siblings, um, Rosie and Greg's um, kids, and I always saw them as my parents. To be honest, I don't know any different, but I do know that growing up I did feel a bit different when it was the outside people, so how people would see me um, from the outside and ask, oh, you look different, oh, you're a bit bigger or browner, or you don't look like your parents. That's when it started becoming an issue, um, the outside, but within my family, not an issue at all. How do you deal with the, the outside stuff, especially as a kid? Yeah, um, to be honest, I didn't do, deal with it well. Um, within myself, always feeling not quite, um, or like out of place. And then I, I just naturally am quite an awkward person. Um, <laughs> everyone knows that. I wouldn't um, say that. I'm very awkward, especially when it becomes intimate or personal, like one on one. I'm very, very awkward. I um, mean, I think that's probably come from feeling that or being told that I'm not, you know, that I'm out of place. Or I've only probably recently, as I've got older, um, been comfortable in my skin and um, understand my place in in life. Yeah. And what was that turning point? To be honest, there's probably a lot of turning points that God put in my life, but I turned the other way. Um, even with the kids coming, um, that was a massive blessing that God gave me, but I, again, went the other way. Um, so probably uh, when I got to 25 and there was, uh, well, I guess I had done all the wrong things, so figured probably just go with God and um, trust, you know, and just focus on family and, and good people and um that was massive, getting my malu in that same year, mm. getting baptised. And that was probably a big year um, that God really helped me um, uh, see the bigger picture. We're going to talk about your malu a little bit later, but um, let's talk about your children. How was it being a teen mum? I, I think the hard thing as well was that it was a surprise. I had no idea. Um, it was not planned and probably not in a stable relationship at all. Um, and I think that's a little bit more common these days. Um uh, I guess because I was playing netball at the time and that's all I had, then I felt like, oh my gosh, I've got nothing now. Um, so that was a massive struggle and I put a lot, um, if I did not have my parents or family, there's no way, I already know, there's no way I would have coped. And to be honest, I'm nervous, like I wouldn't be surprised if my kids have had been in the system um, if I didn't have my family. So I'm very, very grateful because I know I would not, probably still be a mum um, if it wasn't for my parents. Um, so they're the village kids. Um, my children are very blessed to be loved by a lot of family um, who did a lot in their first few years. The thing I love about your kids, um, for those that uh, you know have seen you play your games, mm. uh, you know, um, they're always rolling around on the court and they're always like rolling around <laughs> on the grass. <laughs> yeah, like they, they, they're yeah. just oblivious to everything yeah. that's happening around them. There's cameras rolling everywhere, but they're just themselves. Yeah, and I think that's because they've been loved and they've never known um, or never felt not loved or not safe. Um, so, And that is hugely thanks to my parents and also my birth mum, my birth parents, because she was flying over from Australia every other term. Um, so it was a um, massive village um, that has made them feel loved and helped me to um, be a better mum. Mm. And I think we were talking about that turning point of you had that massive year of being baptised, of just feeling really... Cu- 
confident in your skin. And I think one of the magical things that appeared around that time was your partner, Andrew. And it seems like he has helped settle you. You're, the kids love him. Yeah. Um, you now work in this blended family with these four beautiful kids. Um, so how how did Andrew come about for oh people who don't gosh. know? I know oh he's been golly. around in the past, <laughs> yeah. but what, what is that story? <laughs> well, God's timing is definitely perfect. Um, we knew each other growing up um, when we were young, maybe in high school. We played basketball together with um, our, our mutual friend Shay Ely, who plays um, who plays ball, and nothing have eventuated. Then we <laughs> knew each other. Um, we saw each other again um, in town. <clears throat> As 19-year-olds, we were both in not good places in our lives, um, you know, just going through that phase, um, not the right time. And then we both went off and had children, did some bit of, went through some mistakes, went through life. Um, and then in that same year, um, that that a lot of changes and transformations happened for myself. God's time was perfect. Um and he just randomly messaged me, um, and then the rest is history. I feel sorry for him having to come back into your fuddy yeah. with, <laughs> with Mama Rosie. How did that go down? I bet you he was nervous. Uh, well, that's the biggest thing for me is that my mum and Nana love him. Mm. So that's when I knew. Because if they didn't have um, give their approval, then I probably knew it wasn't right. But they loved him, and my kids love him. And I love um, his kids. So that um, it's definitely a learning curve um, having a blended family of four, especially when they're all the same age. Um, but uh, when you know that it's right, um, then you can work through it. I thought he was the extra child. Yeah, no, he is. He's some, no, 100%. He's sometimes the fifth child, probably 90% <laughs> of the time, but it's all right. <laughs> how, how do you make that work? So, you know, you're, you're, both, you're both young. Yeah. You, you both have children. How do you make a blended family work? Well, he's had experience. So he's part of a blended family. So his mum passed away when he was four. Wow. So he's been raised by um, uh, his stepmum and had um, blend, um, step-siblings. So he's known that all his life. And so I think f he was probably the expert on that um, side. Um, it's been a different learning curve for my family because it's, it's quite different to whāngai when it's within family. It's definitely been hard, um, but uh, it's a lot of love. Uh, and, the, and we're really lucky because the kids actually love each other. So. Mm. On that, do you find that your kids are Afghasi Samoan mm. Tongan and mm. Andrew's kids are Afghasi Samoan Māori, if I'm yeah, correct? Yeah. How do you find blending all those different cultures into a melting pot? It's, it's actually quite funny. Um, so our our kids, um, so the twins, um, they they have quite a few mannerisms that we we say we like to attribute to being Tongan. Teresa, <laughs> 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 yeah, Ther she's definitely a strong Tongan woman, and all power to her. Yeah. Um, and then um, the kids, uh, you know, the boys, they've um, they're strong Maori. They're from up north, so um, I think that. Uh, for us, it's a big thing. That's probably something that's also driven us to want to get more in touch with our culture as well, um, because we both don't speak fluently Samoan. Um, so that's massive for us, and we want our kids to be uh, raised in that. So we're lucky that we both have family that can speak, and their grandparents can. So if we can get them around it as much as possible, that's massive. They all know now know how to do the lotu together. Mm. Our Maori, our Maori boys can do the Samoan lotu now, so they like to do that, and they do it up north as well with their mum. Um, so that's wow. pretty cool. Yeah. 
So you were talking about the importance of your Samoan heritage. And so let's talk about your malu. So mm. traditionally, when you have your malu, it's not, it's not really supposed to be shown, or if it is, it's within a very specific mm. cultural setting. Um, however, when you play netball, we are in dresses. Um, so your malu is seen by all. So tell us about your journey mm. and how now you have your malu on display. Uh, it was on my heart for years, um, probably since I had the kids, uh, but I never felt worthy and I knew it wasn't the right time because I wasn't living or embodying what it meant to, ha to, to have a malu. Um, and I knew that and it never felt right. Um, and so um, when I did finally get it, it, it was after a lot of talking with mum and nana. Um, and talking about, um, we also spoke to other people in the community as well, um, so that my nana was linked with, about their their opinion and that I didn't want to disrespect anyone um, or people that um, do wear the malu. I did not want to um, do it with, for the wrong reasons, um, so that was massive. Um, and so when they said that they saw it as, as something to be proud of and that as long as I wore it and I embodied what it meant to be a tamaita i Samoa and that when I'm playing netball that I am embodying what a woman should um, as a Samoan woman, um, that was massive. And so it's about, I guess, being um, you can, you know, protecting your family but also protecting your team, a place of shelter, so helping the younger ones coming through um, and all of that, so I'm very proud and lucky to, to, to wear it. The first time you walked down on court with it, was it easy to do it? It would be new, especially for a netball audience. Mm. Yeah, and I think because netball's quite conservative, um, I was very nervous about that, um, and because, you know, no one's ever done it um, in netball before. So I think that was massive, and I wanted to make sure that it was done the right way, and I was very, to be honest, I was very nervous about how people would judge it, um, and um, mostly uh, how our Samoan people would see it, because I didn't want to um, disrespect anyone. Um, but to be honest, the feedback's been really, really positive. Um, I've had nothing but love from our Samoa people. Um, and so I'm now comfortable with it. Now I forget. I forget that it's there until um, after games when kids say, oh, I like your stickers or I like your... <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> well, I like... Because no, no. young kids, you know, they haven't seen it before. They don't know what it is. So... <laughs> But, wow. but yeah. <laughs> have you ever felt so yeah. my mum has a moko kauai yeah. and I remember when she went through the process or mm. that journey of getting it she just felt like it had always been there mm. did you feel something similar like because yeah. it's an intense process painful long yeah. process like how did you feel afterwards uh, for me the process of having it I felt massively connected to my papa um, who's passed mm. away and so to the pain I know it sounds but I didn't feel it. Um, I, well, I knew it was painful, but I was only thinking of my papa. Um, and so as I was getting it, I just felt more and more connected to my papa. And I knew that what well, I was making him proud. So that was massive for me. Um, and so now I feel that the malu is not just my connection to my culture, but it's to my papa as well. Um, so I feel, yeah, proud to, to wear it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it was quite inspiring hearing that, that journey, not only just about your malu, but also about your family as well. Let's look at, at your career. You're most known for being a netballer, and but even that has uh, been a journey in itself. If we go way back, 
Did you choose netball or do you think netball chose you? Oh, that's a hard one. I'm, well, I'm lucky to still be playing netball. I definitely know that for sure. So I guess in a way, I guess it chose me. Oh, um, if I've, I don't know what life would be like without netball, to be honest. Mm. Um, and it's helped me through a lot of crap um, mm. in life. Because um, it's been a constant, um, something that you feel safe in, um, that you have always have good girls around. To be honest, I, I do believe um, God has um, a plan and everything happens for a reason. Um, so Even when things were a bit up were, and down? Yeah, mm. 100%. And to be honest, all of the... Every time things were going not good, that was 100% my own fault. Um, so I do know that God was always there um, uh, guiding me through it all. Um, so yeah, netball's been a massive blessing. Mm. But it wasn't always just netball, right? So <laughs> I remember my first memory of you. You were actually, you also played basketball in the past. So could you have gone either way? <laughs> I, lo- I love I love other sports, but I'm not. I I'm very competitive, but I'm not. I'm not good enough. I would not say that. The passion's there, not not the ability. Um, but basketball's always good touch. But I I loved playing so many different sports, athletics. Um, so like I think it's real, real big that kids coming through should be playing a lot of different sports. I don't I think so it's agree with that yeah. One. I reckon that um, kids that are trying to specialise too early, I don't think that's probably a good thing. I think having skill sets in different environments is really good for you, like coming through primary, intermediate, college. I'll, I want to forget about my sevens experience. I'll <laughs> leave that to my sister. No, but <laughs> how, 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 did that, how did that happen? Because I remember coming to the, one of those games that you played. I think you guys played Fiji. For yeah. Manusina. Yeah, in the final, yeah. eh? <laughs> Must have been in the final. I think you guys got a mean hiding. Yeah, we got a massive hiding, and I personally got a massive hiding. I got a hit. That's right. So good. Oh, my gosh. Bad, bad memories. But you did it. You did it. So tell us about that experience. Well, I think at that time, netball was not going so well, or my life was not going so well, and I thought, why not give something a go? My good friend Hayley um, said that she was going to go along to Sevens, Manusina Trials, and so I just went along with her. Um, It was a really fun experience, different environments, so different to netball. Um, The girls in um, rugby or, you know, in that sport, a lot more banter, um, a lot more um, fun, uh, well, different type of fun. and not so conservative, so it was definitely a fun experience, um, but one that I will never, never, I will gracefully bow out from on <laughs> anything on the field. And I even got to play against my sister one time, um, which was good fun. But I told her before the game, "You're not tackling me," and she stayed away from me. What so do you that mean? was good I fun. I just imagine you being so graceful falling <laughs> to the ground. What are you I'm about? scared of my sister. If you've seen her guns, you would be scared of her. Andrew's scared of her. Yeah, Hard she's out. a beast. Oh. Yeah. Well, let's 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 talk about your sister here. Yeah. Um, managed to carve out her own career in in rugby, yeah. both in sevens and fifteens. Does it make it easier having another athlete in the family, being able to understand where where you uh, have to make um, sacrifices as well? Yeah, massive. And uh, I I see my sister as the angel of our family. She was meant to be the eldest child. She's Mm. definitely... um, She's just always done everything the right way. Um, she's always led by example. And she's very quiet. She's different to me. Um, but she just leads by actions. And I have never met anybody that does not like her. Um, 
yeah, she's just, a, um, so she's been massive and she's just such a hard worker. So I'm really, really happy that she's been able to um, to cement her spot in that Sevens team um, because honestly her work ethic is very, very good. Um, yeah. So she can teach her older sister a lot. Yeah, I remember when we used to play um, touch at Greyland, man, and yeah. she used to like gas us. Well, because we were on the same team. Yeah. <laughs> we were on the yeah. same team. And she <laughs> was just like, damn. And you yeah. used to look at her muscles back then. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> and she's always played with the boys. She's used to play with the boys. She played, grew up playing with Aki, um, Rico, my cousin Willie. So she's used to it. And and the boys used to sometimes be scared of her. So she's she's tough. They probably still are. Yeah. Well, well, everyone's scared of my mum. Then they're scared of Teresa. <laughs> so if we go back to netball, yeah. um, for those who don't know, you had been playing in the semi-professional since you were about seventeen. Mm. How was that? And what have you learnt from 17-year-old Sulu 10, ten years yeah, later? I know, I Oh, my know. gosh. I'm, old. I'm an old bag, yep. To be, I was very young and probably very emotionally immature um, when I first got in. T was really, really good to me. Um, she was, she's been my mentor for netball, as she has a lot of netballers. Sorry, who's T for those of us that don't know? Um, Te Aroha Kenan. Mm. She is one of the best mentors in netball, yes. And she's helped mamais too and a lot of other girls a lot of good friends like my friend Ali Timu um, she's been so good for um, bringing girls through and, and helping them in their careers so she brought me into the Mystics uh, and to be honest I was just happy to go to the hotels and get free soap and shampoo <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I can do that now yeah. so like you gift them to yeah. your whanau on their birthdays <laughs> um, I was happy with the gears but uh, I think I got on in the last quarter of the first game oh, of the last game um so the, um I think it was yeah I was still at school at that time so very very emotionally immature and then after that I I got another good coach which was Knowles at Magic um so that was massive for me and a big thing that sticks out for me re- remembering in those two years was Knowles said to me sort of you're really um you're draining the team your energy is really draining the team and to be honest at that age I didn't realize I was not I had no self-awareness. I thought that I was a good team player, you know. I thought I was young and I'm in the ANZ, I'm good. But you don't realise till someone gives you some hard truths. And she told me straight that, and I had no idea. And it's it's because I was relying a lot on the older players to do things for me, um, to help me train and all those things. I wasn't... um, you know, doing things myself. And so that was massive for me, even though it hurt. And um, that has always stuck with me. Um, so I I really push when I, with other people, that um, it's all about the energy you give into a group because you don't want to be the one that's dragging everyone down um, and you want to be giving a- giving and adding value. Um, so the 10 years has been very long. I've worn a lot of different colours and I'm not going to wor- wear the sixth one. I'm gonna Would stick you go to back five. to one? There's uh, one in South Auckland that's pulling the name. <laughs> that's awesome just hearing, hearing about your journey there. Um, because hearing somebody say to you, sort of your energy is draining the team, you know, that's enough for somebody with that is weak. To, to run, you know, to be like, okay, to give up and throw it all in. But you haven't, um, and we love that you're still here. But did you ever think you'll be able to not not only just come back to top-level netball, but come back and cement yourself in the national side? No. Um, so when I got to that 
uh, I think I was at the stars. So by then I was in my my fourth team. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I think by then I and and that was when I had done my ACL, and that year was not good. I was I was out of shape. I was unfit um, and I did not perform very well, subpar, um, and I hadn't made any national squads. And so by then I just accepted that, oh, I'll be happy with the ANZ contract. Um, Ferns is not in, in any in the picture. And so then that was a massive blessing going down to Wellington. Anybody that hasn't been to Wellington, it's a beautiful place. That place still has my heart. Um, that was a massive blessing as well. Um, so no, I did not think that was ever going to happen again. But God is good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's been the help of a lot of people and um, um, my family. So, yeah. Before Maya jumps in and asks you a question, I just, you know, we, we're talking about the stars here. And I've, I've got to personally thank you too because, I mean, I've um, managed to carve out a career uh, another career um, doing communications work and, and media work, and that wouldn't have been possible without you. And not many people know this, and not many people know that it was actually you that had um, given me my first opportunity in a comms media environment. And I think it has gone, it's it's gone a long way now. Um, and yeah, I, I just personally have to, to thank you for that um, I don't know how the conversation started, but it just it just happened, and um, yeah, just want to say thank you. Oh, oh, thanks for that. But it definitely was not me. I, I, the connection was there. You're very good media at what you do. So, but um, I think that comes from listening to how you've talked about this energy draining person at 17, and now to be, have an honour and privilege of playing alongside and against you, to now see that if you asked. Every single girl in the Silverfern squad, current squad, who was the best teammate, it would be you and Mills, hands down. You would, and I think that's across any teams. I haven't seen a single person in our new generation of Silverferns that has gained the respect of so many people, and that just goes towards the person that you are. And I think as a friend, I have been grateful because there's some really um, tough topics that I've talked to you about in confidence. Mm -hmm. um, one of them being body image. And I think Tiana and I spoke about it last week of sometimes you talk about this conservative mm. um, environment that mm. is netball and you and I both, mm. we were larger back <laughs> in the day. And, and for some reason... Yeah. After losing some weight, mm. I feel like people have seen that dropping a few kgs mm. is a really positive thing. And yeah. I definitely agree that there mm. are essences of that. But how do you feel about weight, body image in terms of being an athlete and being a Pacifica mm. female in, in a sport that is like netball? Yeah, I have strong feelings on this. Mm. Uh, I feel like body image is a massive issue that is not not really being tackled, especially for women. And not just in netball, but in sport and probably just in general. I think that the representation that we're seeing um, in everything, um, you know, from images, social media, all those things. Um, it's, it's a positive because we have a lot of diversity um, in our country, but in other ways, it's not because it's the same sort of images that we're seeing um, of beautiful, slim women. Um, that's the general 
that's generally what we see. Um, and so as um, I struggled a lot with that and a lot of our people have in netball, um, in our netball environment, because we're constantly told that or how we process or how we perceive is that there's a certain way we need to look. Um, and it's conditioned sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that there's certain ways that we need to look in order to, in order to embody the ideal um, athlete or netballer. And I think that that's a huge um, issue that really needs to be looked into, um, especially for our poly and Māori girls um, coming into the sport. Um, because I think that probably the focus needs to shift and whether that's as us as players or whether that comes from maybe the messaging from the top down that we need to focus on um, on health and just performance and then that other stuff can come from that but I definitely know from experience that um, that within netball I only know I can only speak on what I've seen and um, that uh, food um, Issues with food, body image is massive. Um, and I've seen it in all levels, from club, representative, to national. Um, so I feel like that's a massive issue, especially for us player, um, in New Zealand, because we do have bigger bodies, mm -hmm. well, some of us do, um, and yet we're trying to aspire to fit into what's, what's the norm, and sometimes at the expense of our performance or our health. And I think there are elements where I do agree. Dropping some weight mm. has helped me become faster, fitter, mm. more agile, be able to feel better, last mm. on court. But I think the side effects mm. of some of that has mm. me being obsessive mm. in some areas and mm. comparing yeah. um, with other women, like yeah. looking at how – I yes, I can preach saying that everybody has beautiful, different mm. shapes, that's how they are, but saying it – and then being able to walk the walk yeah. and believe it. Yeah. And I think that's where you're right. Like, And because me seeing you and all the hard work you've put in, I think that what needs to be emphasised is the hard work. Mm. Not the, oh, wow, you look so small. And Why the does the narrative that yeah. I feel like is played, right? Mm. It's not necessarily that hard work yeah. that you're talking of. It's all about, oh, gee, she's dropped down a dress size. Or like, look, oh, she looks, can, now she yeah, looks so she good. She looks really good. Yeah. But so what does that yeah. mean about before? Yeah, um, and then that's not, um, we need to em uh, embrace all bodies because then how about girls that are already slim, um, you know, that we all have different bodies and I think that's massive and I think that messaging needs to be, well, really pushed um, in our environments a lot more and maybe not even just in our environments and maybe in schools as well um, because a lot um, from doing, from speaking a bit more about it um, in our conversations, I was speaking to my best friends just in my group who none of them play sport but my friend opened up to me that she had bulimia, you know, in school and she's not an athlete and there was no re and she was small, like she was very small but... Um, but it's because it's not spoken about. I think mm. that body image and all those things really, really need to be out in the open, um, along with the mental health, which is b getting better. Man, I, ju I just sit here because I've uh, quite often seen, um, you know, I've, I've seen you two come along, mm -hmm. but I've, I've said to my mind before that the one thing that frustrates me in games is I can honestly say that it's only probably addressed at the both of you mm -hmm. um, is when commentators, you mm -hmm. know, uh, it feels like to me that the only thing they can find to talk about 
either of you mm-hmm. is how much you've worked on your conditioning, how mm-hmm. much better, you, how much better you are now in, mm-hmm. in in certain areas. And I'm like, surely there's something else you can talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you touched on it there as well around um, the mental health mm-hmm. side of things. And you're quite open about your own mental health struggles mm-hmm. and your own um, mental well-being. And I asked this question as a friend um, and just out of Pure um, love for you, mm. you know. How how bad did it get? Oh, it's been v- ba- very bad mm. a lot of times. Um, even right back to when I was in primary, I remember that I was down quite... Thinking back, I remember I was down quite a lot. And I knew that I, I couldn't connect with people properly. I, the way my personality was, I did not seem to um, connect with people and people seemed to not like the way I was Mm. Um, so and from there I was um, well I felt like I was bullied quite a bit but then I also became a bully um, Mm. without even realising it because I was quite down Um, and so right from there through to high school everyone perceived me to be very happy and good at high school but um, I had a lot of battles um, Mm. at high school unhappy um, very depressed, down, um, and then with just just leading into before I had babies, and then after babies, very very depressed. Yeah. Um, and I I didn't even know that that was the word for it, mm. um, but just unhappy, thinking about how I could just end it all, wishing I could just be gone. Um, wow. Mm. I, but I feel like it's because it's not spoken about, or it's getting way better now, but it wasn't, and even. And I think people are a bit scared to speak to kids about it, but I feel like that's probably where it starts. And because you learn unhealthy um, coping mechanisms or you learn to suffer in silence, and so when it does get worse or life gets harder, um, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it started right from when I was young, from when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. So again, thank you for sharing because some of the stuff, the copa that we're talking about is actually quite heavy. Um, going into it, where did you think your mental health um, moments developed came from? Um, I think internally I've just always struggled. Um, I just never felt quite right or in place, if that makes sense. I don't. I don't know. I can't. I can't really. Nothing terrible happened to me. I had a great upbringing. My family loved me. Um, they gave me a lot of love. No significant um, event or trauma um, at all. So I, I just know it's always been there and it's always been a struggle um, in my mind. And I've made struggles from that. So I get caught in my head space. Even now, like it's even now um, where I'm in a good place, I often find myself um, going to that space and I have to remember to um, to get myself out of that um, by doing what I know works um, and um, connecting with whether it's at church or um, with my partner or with the kids. You touched on it a little bit earlier around uh, mental health challenges as a mother. Mm. Did that include postnatal depression? And how do how do you how do you deal with that? Uh, I think probably because of the context of how I got pregnant, um, and that that was, um, you know, putting a halt to my career um, in netball. Um, I was quite young, um, so had my twenty first birthday pregnant, and at that time, my mum my mum actually thought I was a virgin. <laughs> 
So she. <laughs> what are your <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> before, before I got pregnant, um, and so for for me to tell my mum like I'm pregnant, and then for us to go to the scan and see two. Oh wow, you, you know Rosie. Um, my mum was that was nine long months. Um, yeah, that was a massive struggle in itself. Um, coming in and out of just feeling really down um, and quite lost. Uh, and then when I had babies, I didn't have that um, natural maternal connection to the kids. Uh, I 100% knew I loved them. Um, that wasn't an issue, but I didn't feel like a mum like at all. Um, and it took a long time. And those first three months, I, I just know that I was crying every day. Like, mm. um, and it wasn't... For no reason, like the kids would be, um, I'd be put them to sleep or um, just feed them and just sit there and just cry. Um, And that was a very long three months. Um, But again, I was very blessed because my, uh, I was at home with my parents. My birth mum had come, um, flown over for the first month of me with babies. So she was a massive help for me. Um, Because to be honest, I, I wasn't. I, my body and my mind were were separated, um, and so my kids uh, my kids um, were pulled me through that. Mm. So now, as a mother, does it mm. is it easier? Uh, how old are the kids now? Seven, eight, six, six. Man, they look like eight. <laughs> <laughs> they, they look like eight. yeah, they're yeah. they're big. Well, now, now that your kids are a little yeah. bit older, does yeah. it make it easier now to pull yourself out? Mm. Of those situations when you when you feel like you're getting there again, yeah, and and now I think I've learnt um, to I know my triggers, I know what gets me there, um, and I also know what works, what how I can um, deal with it. I mean that's just come with experience, life experience, and um, with um, some good support. Um, but I definitely don't know how people um, are able to deal with it when it's just themselves, um, because I was really lucky that I had strong support system, family, whereas. I don't, like I said before, I don't know where me or the kids would be if I didn't have that, if I was just a solo mum at home by myself. Um, so I think that's why it's really important that people are speaking about it now and there's support systems, there's groups, there's um, everyone's bringing it out um, because it's very, very common. Um, and uh, especially for people that, um, I guess in our culture, you don't necessarily speak about those taboo things. and. Mm. What did help you talk about these support systems? Was it mostly Fano? Because I think, like you were saying, it was quite taboo to have a teenage pregnancy, basically, within a cultural context. Mm. So I imagine there might have been a lot of anxiety building up mm. and leading into that, telling your Fano. Mm. Um, so how was that period? And then what did you do? What helped you? Uh, I've always been a warrior, um, like as in worrying constantly over the most silly things. Like even like coming here, I was getting sweaty thinking about like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do when I walk in the door? Is that why you're keeping your jumper? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sweaty under the jumper. You have no clue. Um, mm. But I just always been like that. Um, and so I think hundred uh, percent ainga fano um, was massive. Um, so that's where we're very blessed in our culture that um, you have extended f- family. You know, we're a big village, but I think we can use utilise that more um, with our people and use it as a strength to be able to bring that out, you know, bring it out, um, bring it out to the light rather than sweeping it under the carpet. And so that was massive, um, having family. And then as well, good friends. Um, 
uh, was big. But that's why my heart goes out to people that don't have that. Um, and so programs that are working now to help those people, um, I think it, they're doing really good work because it's not easy. You talked about triggers. Mm. What are those triggers for you uh, and how do you know that they're coming on? Uh, if I feel uncomfortable in a situation or in, a, in wherever I am, um, that's massive because then my anxiety starts going. I start getting really, really, I start to worry. I start overthinking. Um, and then I start, before anything's even happened, I've probably thought about, like, spent hours on something before it's even happened. Um, and then it turns out that it was, you know, just relaxed or anything. Um, so I know that when I start getting into that, um, just take a step back and just think, okay, what are the facts of what's actually going on? What's real? I think that's a big thing is what's real because you start making stuff up in your head mm-hmm. and stuff that doesn't even matter. Like I'll be thinking about, oh, does Mama's actually, does she not want me here or is she doing this because of blah, blah, blah? And, you know, you just tell yourself stories. So I think focusing on what's real um, is big for me. Another trigger is when I feel um, trust big for me. Um, I... I find it hard to trust um, situations or like um, just the word of people. Um, so I've learned to just take things for what they are and then deal with it if whatever happens. Um, and then just focusing on um, on on the, the important stuff. So family, um, my faith. And as long as I feel strong in those things, then whatever happens, happens. Um, mm-hmm. Because you can't control it. There's going to be some bad stuff there's going to be some good stuff yeah yeah you talk about you've talked about alcohol abuse quite Mm. openly um Mm. i mean we're not going to spend all our time talking Mm. about mental health but you've talked about alcohol abuse Mm. openly what is your relationship with alcohol now (laughs) (laughs) um i actually i don't mind i can drink now and just have a couple i've never been able to say that my whole life um mm-hmm. right from when I first t- I think probably as well because when I first touched it I wasn't loud um my mum was very strict um so I did it in secret it was always hidden and so I just went hard and as well I felt that it made me feel more confident made me not doubt myself it took away those worries um so I used it for the wrong reasons um and so that carried through right right from that abuse of it from I'll say that I was 17. might have been a bit younger, but I'll say 17. Yeah. Um, right from then, I've had a terrible relationship with alcohol and food um, for probably a decade. Um, I only know now, only now being healthier myself and from the inside out, can I now, um, do I deal with those things better? So it could have probably been anything, um, but for me it was alcohol and um, food. But I do think um, it's, that comes back to the whole body image and those yeah. issues. And um, because it's going to be anything, it could be weight, it could be, you know, your physical appearance, any of that stuff. Um, but if you're not dealing with those issues inside, it's going to manifest itself um, in those things. And for me, so now I can drink and I won't, the, the other, the other Sulu won't come out. She was fun as long as she was awake and as long as she didn't black out, um, but not good and not good as a mum, not good as just being a, yeah. yeah, it's not fun to be around, and I, I actually had some um, let a lot of people down when it came to, with alcohol. I hundred percent know that. Uh, I hurt a lot of people and whatever I, you know, how I was, and it wasn't even the alcohol that was me. Um, yeah. So now having a better relationship with it, I, I'm, I'm comfortable around it and comfortable around people. Yeah. 
So now after reflecting yeah. of the 10 years generally of being an adult, how would you encourage people who are struggling with mental health to get help? And especially what I've found is how do whānau get help? How do we help our whānau who have um, someone within the Ainga um, struggling with mental health? Mm. I'm not an expert on it at all. I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue um, exactly what should be done. Um, but I know what worked for me and what helped. And I know that knowing what your source of strength is, is big. So for me, I've figured out um, that for me, it's my faith, my family, and to be honest, being financially stable. So that's massive. Oh, you're rich now. <laughs> stable. <laughs> Having some pl- some something in my account, not in the overdraft, not in the uh, awesome. in those things. So I know that if those three things are good, so if I'm going to church, um, if I'm if I'm connected with my family, have good relationship with yeah, them, and if I yeah. if I know I'm stable for the kids as well, that we're not worrying about paying this bill or that they're going to be able to get their stuff for school, and um, then I'm a lot better and I'm able to stay above water. Um, so I know for me those are big things so I think for people if they can learn to figure out what for them makes them up or makes them happy um, and genuinely happy not not covering it with alcohol or food or clothes or those things if you can figure out what makes you feel happy inside and then and then really hone in on those and then reach out with so then it could be reaching out to a mentor um, reaching out to a friend um, and really um getting to you know really targeting those things I think that will will help um but I do think it needs to be normalized so we're getting there mm. Mm. you know uh, I've known you for a, for a number of years not as long as Maya's known you for but it's always seemed like you've been happy mm-hmm. um and you've always given off that energy um to us that, that you're happy but it goes to show that we have no idea what people are battling internally right mm. so now when you think about it, when are you at your happiest and what makes you happy? At my happiest when my kids are happy, they feel safe, feel loved and they're, they're able to do what they want to do. Um, I'm happy when I'm able to help people, um, wherever that is, whether it's on the court or just in life or um, in any interactions. I think just happy doing good things um, rather than just saying it or, or putting up a mask and um, actually living it. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's for me, yeah. So I think moving on, um, let's talk what's next, and in particular, your study. So oh my gosh. I know you hate this. <laughs> my forever degree. you feel like you're going to get exposed. Yeah. But let's talk about it. You've been studying for a while now. You're almost done. Um, how hard has it been you know, get to that point and you're nearly at the finish line. How long has it been? Ten years next year. Oh my gosh. Um, With two bubbas in yeah. between though. I've I when I first started studying, because I went to St. Cuth's, there was a strong um drive for me to wanna to study something that everyone else from that school studied. So whether that was medicine, engineering, law. And so that was my drive to do law, not because necessarily I wanted to, but because that was that was considered like a high... Acceptable. Know, yes. Mm. Um, and so that's why I did it. And I did it really, really terribly. Um, I, was, I tried to do five papers in one semester when I was doing netball. It was just so terrible. And I wasted... 
I wasted a, um, I got a scholarship for uni and I wasted that. And to this day, that's a big regret for me because someone else that really needed it could have used it. Um, so I know now that anything that I get, I'm going to make the most of it and I'm going to do my best to give other people a pathway because I wasted that scholarship um, and that's what I'm very embarrassed about. But still studying, um, so hopefully you can finish next um, year. Mm. Um, so then finally graduate before I'm 30 um, but I do think that it's good for anybody to, um, doesn't have to be at uni but to take up something out, um, outside of their sport if they're athletes, I think it's really good to find um, where your element is um, for some it's in trade and all those things but for me I, I actually love uni I actually, I actually like learning um, but it's just I guess you just got to find what works for you. What are you studying, and where, where are you hoping this will this will take you? Um, so I'm now studying sociology, which I actually love. What is that? It's the study of like people. Oh, okay. Well, you're um, such a people person that's yeah, like yeah. perfect. Yeah, I actually really, really love it. So that and philosophy. I don't know why I did philosophy. It sounded cool. <laughs> I tried to do psych, but um, too much science, not for me. Um, so then, hopefully, you can graduate. Um, semester one and then I really really want to do social work cool um, yeah cool so that's that's the goal and maybe law later maybe when I'm a grandparent oh my god <laughs> no <laughs> might be not too far away too <laughs> a few kids following your footsteps no Teresa's no. going to be locked in my house <laughs> you always said she was going to be the trouble one yeah mm. like her mum so talking about your peer peers, yeah. what do you want for their future I want them to be healthy, um, happy, but happy from the inside. I'm happy for them to do whatever. If, if Teresa thinks she's going to be a ballerina, that's fine. If Tevita wants to, I'm happy with whatever they want to do. But as long as they're happy from the inside, that's what's really important. I mean, is, and that they find themselves. Looking at Nepal, where, where, where are you with that? Because obviously you're in this current, this latest next cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a year-by-year year thing? I'm not saying we want you mm. to retire anytime soon because we definitely don't. Mm. Um, where to with that? Definitely a year-by-year. Maybe by a year. move back to South Auckland? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Definitely year-by-year. Year. Um, just how the body goes and how where I am in the mix um, with this fer- new fern squad. And what I love about what Noel says is that um, w- you w- they focus on where you are in that moment of time. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I'm happy with where I am and I feel that I do have something to add value to the group um, on court and off. But it might I might not be the right fit in a year or two and I'm fine with that um, as long as I've, I'm giving it my best um, so I'm definitely taking it year by year I'm not, um, I can definitely feel it when I don't warm up or warm down so my body's, my body's calling me to, <laughs> to ease up but, um, so I'm just taking it year by year and whatever I can contribute to each um, campaign or season and then if I'm not the right fit then that's fine um, mm. then um, I'll move to wherever, wherever life takes me next to your sixth team. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to wear red dress. daunting though? Like yeah. you've been playing professional nipple for the last mm. 10 years and now you're talking about your, your body is starting to definitely feel it. Your knees mm. are not as brand spanking new mm. as they used to be. That's a sense of identity, right? So mm. like, do you find it daunting mm. thinking mm. about what's next? 
huge. Um, and I, cause I actually don't know, I actually can't even think about what life would be like if I didn't have netball. And I think because it's, I'm so used to the season, you know, um, cause after 10 years of doing it, I actually don't know what it would be like to have a year of, of no, no having no off season, pre season, in season. Um, a lot of the players that have um, recently retired, like my friend Paula, um, they said they just knew. Um, they knew when it was time. So I'm hoping that uh, that that's what will happen. But I am a bit nervous. <laughs> I'll, I'll try my best to get with you to that World Cup. That's the goal. But if, if it's not there, then. Um, but I am nervous, but um, also a bit excited. Yeah. Mm. So, Partai Whakamutunga, our final wrap up question. How do you hope your mahi will inspire our rangatahi, our next generation? I hope that by seeing my mistakes and seeing the lows that um, that the rangatahi and the kids, the youth coming through can see that um, there is there is a way forward and you can get better um, and that there, there's always a way to, to change things in your life um, and you could feel like there's no way turning back from this or, you know, people, it's too late, I've burnt my bridges. Um, but... If you choose to what, just make a choice to do good things, life does start to change. Um, and so just trust the journey, but also do good things is massive. Um, I do believe in that you put good things out and it, it'll come back to you and not necessarily how you think it's going to be, um, but life has a funny way and God has a way of, of having his perfect timing. Um, so that's a big thing. Um, just do good, and um, yeah, the rest will take care of itself. Toisulu Fitzpatrick, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you for being so honest. Um, I know for us, the three of us know each other quite well, you mm. know, but um, we knew that uh, out of all the media reports out there, out of all the news that has been covered on you, we knew that there is so much more to you than that, mm. and we're happy that we got to um, have a have a lot more of a deeper insight than what others would usually be privileged to. Um, so we really, really thank you. We really, really thank you for that. And um, I just love seeing how far you've come. Um, just love seeing how just fit and powerful you you are at the moment. And you just look so happy. I look at your um, your social media and just seeing you and your kids and your partner and, and your big wider family and just seeing how how happy and genuinely happy mm. you are mm. um, and I think it's a, it's an amazing journey so thank you for spending time with us no thank you for having me thank you for tuning in to episode 7 with our special guest Toy Sulu Fitzpatrick we'd love to hear any of your feedback so hit us up on our socials at kokongati underscore podcast on Facebook or Instagram Season 1 of Coco Ngati was made with support from Foundation North's Pacific Future Makers Fund and the Kokonee.